Hello, and welcome to the Gone But Not Forgotten podcast. I'm Audrey Cornell. And I'm Louise Coleman. And today we are joined by Kristen Lopez to talk about the 2019 biopic, Judy. Kristen, would you like to start by telling us why you are a fan of Judy Garland and what drew you to her? Yeah, Judy Garland is the quintessential old Hollywood movie star. You don't have to know anything about old Hollywood to know who Judy Garland is. The Wizard of Oz is an ubiquitous classic for so many different people. But I think, too, what I was also drawn to is not necessarily just the girl in The Wizard of Oz, but one of the elements that's hard to divorce for most old Hollywood lovers is the tragedy of her life and what what went on in her life. And so I think most old Hollywood fans will tell you that they all have a favorite actor that they know led a very sad life, but they love them in spite of almost like a reclaiming type of thing. And I think Judy Garland is the same way. Most people love her and they love her acting, but I think they also want to give her that appreciation because of how hard her life was. And you don't see it on the screen. And you might know about what went on behind the scenes, but to watch her in any of her movies, she was consummate professional. And the saddest thing is some of the performances that we didn't get because of the struggles that she had in her life. So for me, I came to Judy Garland watching The Wizard of Oz, but it was only through reading about her life and seeing some of her other movies that I really came to appreciate who she was as a performer and how really underrated I think she remains as a performer. Do you have a favorite? There are so many favorites. I love the Harvey girls. I think that is one of one of my favorites just because she gets to be part of a really great strong ensemble of women, including Angela Lansbury and Sid Charisse. If you listen to my podcast, Ticklish Business, me and my co-host are also very big fans of Minnelli's The Pirate, which is highly dated. She plays a Latina which she was not, but it's so fun and colorful. And she just worked so well with Manali because they were married. And Mimi in St. Louis, Mimi in St. Louis is the perfect classic film. She said even herself that she never felt she was beautiful until she made that movie. She looks fantastic. She gets some great songs. It's funny. It's sad. It's just perfect. And she is perfect in it. I think those are all your favorites, right, Louise? As soon as I heard you say, I was like, yes, this is the best one. I guess we could get into the biopic. Yes. So what did, general thoughts, like, what did we think of the film? Do we think it's a good portrayal of Judy as a person and of her life? So I don't want to be too negative to start off with, but I will just say that I was not the biggest fan of it. I just want to get out there because Kristen, I'm a little bit worried about how you might have felt about it as a big Judy fan you are. I'm always very skeptical when it comes to biopics, even more so about old Hollywood ones. If anybody heard my reaction to Babylon after I saw it, it's usually (laughs) where I'm at with biopics. And this one, I like the performance, even though the intent of the story is very specifically skewed. Most biopics are made by the people that are still alive. History is written by the winners. And in this case, history is usually written by those who are financially invested in these types of movies. And and so this case, watching this movie, Renee Zellweger's performance is, is fantastic. It's easy to see why she won the Oscar for it. But at the same time, 
it's very pro Sid Luft, which I have issues with because none of her husbands necessarily were able to help her with her issues. Like revels in the tragedy mm-hmm. of her life a bit too much. It's very male centric in how the male characters feel, not necessarily how she feels. But the performance sequences, anytime there's a performance, it's hard not to get wrapped up in in the amazing qualities that that Renee Zellweger brings to the character, even if it punctuates all of those moments with like reminders about things that most old Hollywood people already know about her life. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's certainly not the worst biopic I've seen, but it's also not the best biopic I've seen. Totally, totally agree. Do you think then that Renee deserved to win the Oscar? Less for playing Judy Garland and more just because people like her. She has a really good narrative. She hadn't been on screen in several years. Coming back, playing Judy Garland, if there's one thing that gets you an Oscar in Hollywood, it's usually playing a famous person, especially one with a tragic background. We'll see in a couple of weeks if that bears fruit, if Austin Butler wins for playing Elvis, which... In that instance, I'd probably be okay with it because I think he's really good in, in the movie. So it's more of a easy access to an award type of thing is to play an old Hollywood personality. But I can't deny that she is not, she's fantastic in it. I think she really, based on hearing what she has said about the role, she really researched Judy Garland. I think you can tell in most biopics whether the actor playing that person really research that person and whether they really like that person. There have been some old Hollywood biopics where actors have played performers and they've admitted, I didn't know anything about this person. I didn't really want to research this person. And they don't really have any deep connection. I feel like Renee definitely had a deep connection to Judy Garland. Power in the performances. She doesn't necessarily try to do a voice, the Judy Garland voice, but it's there. She looks about as close to Judy Garland as we'll probably ever get unless we want to make Anne Hathaway have that that biopic that she's been, she was trying to get a Judy biopic for years. And I don't think that's happening, which is a missed opportunity because I think Anne Hathaway looks a bit more like Judy than Renee does. How do you feel about it in terms of Judy never really received any awards and was like snubbed by the Academy multiple times? I just did an episode of the podcast where we talked about the 1953 Oscars where she was up for A Star is Born and she did not win. Grace Kelly got it. My co-host feels very differently about this. She loves Grace Kelly. I maintain Grace Kelly did not deserve that Academy Award. And I think a lot of it is the belief that Judy Garland was labeled difficult. She notoriously would have to call sick or she dropped out of projects because of this presumed erratic behavior. And so I think Hollywood tended to to appreciate her when she was on, but the the issues of getting her to that point just outweighed a lot of, I think it, it ended up consuming the work. I think people remembered her more for her personal life, which happens so often with biopics. They dredge up the same elements of her life. This is not the first Judy Garland biopic. This is, I think, the third. And they all hit the same beats, which just reiterates She did great work, but also she was very tragic and she had a lot of struggles. When her children started writing books about their life growing up, I think people just tended to remember stuff that we see in this biopic, fleeing hotel rooms in the middle of the night because they couldn't afford to stay there. The struggles with with addiction, 
the fact that she was chronically late. And I think that obscures the legacy in many ways. Yes, she did have all of these issues. She struggled. She was human. But if we can get movies about male performers who had all of these issues, and we can still celebrate their performances and who they were, then I feel like women should get the same courtesy. And I don't think that Judy gets the same courtesy as a performer, as some of her male contemporaries who also struggled. Again, Elvis is a great example. Yeah. Do you think maybe under the hands of like a different director and or screenwriter? I always feel like women screenwriters and directors don't get enough opportunities to do biopics like this. I feel like there's more understanding. And I would love to see a female filmmaker tackle Judy Garland's story. I think that the issue that I have with filmmaking and biopics, old Hollywood biopics in general, is that male creatives tend to only see these figures in terms of what makes them so alluring? Why are we drawn to these women? As opposed to saying, why do these women have to fall into addiction in order to survive? And we get a little bit of it in Judy, right? We see glimpses of her relationship with Louis B. Mayer and how he berates her, which is well known, you know, Louis B. Mayer treated her horribly. Um, But at the same time, by showing those things, we're not really critiquing an industry that forced her to go on pet pills because they didn't want her to gain weight, that intentionally isolated her and stunted her socially so that she could be a product of the studio. We didn't really interrogate those things. We just look at, oh, how sad. Kristen, when you said obscuring the legacy, I thought that was actually like a perfect term to describe it. Like it, when you're watching Judy, it does actually kind of feel like they haven't really told us about this star we all know. Like it's a bit of an odd choice from the filmmaker to her life look like that when we know there's so much more. Doesn't make sense in my head. Biopics are really weird because they have to please people that know who this person is, but then they also have to get people in who might not have any idea who this person is. And with Judy, what's intriguing is, okay, yes, you're not doing a womb to tomb story. You're not telling the entirety of her career. You're focusing on the last couple of months of her life and looking at the show, which can be really beneficial because sometimes if you're trying to cram in 50 some odd years of a life. It's why the gold standard of biopics for me is actually the other Judy Garland biopic, the miniseries, Life with Judy Garland, Me and My Shadows, that I think Lorna Luft wrote and they adapted for ABC in the 2000s. That's a really great one that goes from birth to death in a way that is respectful because they had to because it was for ABC television. You can't be very salacious, but it fits everything in. You have the time to tell that story. This is This does it smart by focusing on a certain amount of time, but you also have to remind the audience of like where she was in her career at this point, why she was so famous, why this was such a big deal. And if you don't have any reason to be like, why is this person important? Then you failed as a biopic. And I do think that by, you know, me as somebody who knows a lot about Judy Garland, like I don't need the backstory. I already know, but I, I'm, very interested people that have no idea who Judy Garland is. How do you watch this and think she was just some sad pill popper that once was famous? And the movie doesn't really seem to give us anything beyond that. It just says, go read a book, which in my case, okay, yes, I will go read a book. But most people won't. And 
it's the real double-edged sword of biopics is that the movies are implanting information for an audience that doesn't know. It, not a day goes by that I don't hear stories from people that say that they know something about Judy Garland or Marilyn Monroe or anybody that's had a biopic just because they watched that movie and that movie becomes truth for them. So it's a really delicate balance because the movies do, whether they like to admit it or not, have this obligation to inform. But if they keep reiterating the same things, that passes into fact, which is very difficult if you're like an old Hollywood fan or historian and you're trying to like undo all of those things. I think that's why uh, they've, it was lazy on the filmmaker's part because the only flashbacks we saw and the only film of Judy they mentioned was Wizard of Oz. And I think the filmmakers knew everyone knows that film. If you haven't seen it, you've seen it. Like, so I think it's so lazy to be like, oh yeah, remember Judy in this? And then only talk about that one film. I know she sings a trolley song later on and stuff, but it's just, I think they played it too safe. I was like, we cannot alienate anyone. Yet in doing that, they alienated the actual fans, not to like gatekeeper, like the actual people that know about this stuff. This is something that fascinates me about the biopic conceit is that Hollywood does not greenlight biopics unless they know they're going to make the most return on their investment. And so they tend to only high greenlight biopics about the same handful of like white celebrities, which is why you get a Marilyn Monroe one every couple of years. Marilyn's name is ubiquitous. Judy Garland's name is ubiquitous. Her name automatically gets you greenlight. So yes, you don't necessarily have to spoon feed the audience all of the top hits of her life. But you are telling a story about how she ended up here and why this was such a big key element of her life and why it's ultimately sad that she died after these events because what could have been. But the movie doesn't do a good enough job of showing us what Hollywood had done to her and why she was so significant, why this was such a significant thing to have her do these performances and show that she was still a top draw. It's more just Judy Garland celebrating the fact that, oh, people have forgotten me. That's the ultimate point of the movie. Judy Garland feels that people have forgotten her. The movie should be saying, no, that's not the case. Why did this woman, the most famous woman in the world, feel so insecure about her space in the cultural zeitgeist i found it odd that they chose to focus on like the last months of her life without really giving us like any understanding of like how and why she got there so then you can't really build that emotional connection to her and then i feel like only true fans would really understand that but then they didn't show like how important she was as a figure yeah, if anything, I think focusing on the, those last few months, those are the most sensational moments. There were rumors that the last husband she married, Mickey Deans, was shooting her up. There were rumors that she was like a full-on heroin addict. There's a lot of things that supposedly took place in those last couple of months that are just really upsetting. To Maybe something like, like George and Tammy, the Tammy Wynette series that, that Showtime just did last year, which is also very depressing, but I think it does things a bit more skillfully in showing a woman that was struggling with like hardcore addiction 
by like showing all of the factors in her life that contributed to that, both of her own making and outside of that as well. I think with the case of Judy, it just picks this time period to be like, well, we're going to show you all of the sad stuff. It undermines why she was so significant. And I think that the movie, you know, has a thing, something it wants to say, but it doesn't say it. And it, it says that these performances were supposed to be a comeback. But what stopped that from happening? And I would say that, unfortunately, telling a story about an addict isn't always fascinating because you don't know what the methodology of their thinking is. You can't explain that in a conventional narrative, especially when you have family members that are also alive and children that maybe don't want to see that portrayed. That's always a problem because they have their own opinions of what they want to see and what they don't want you to discuss. And so you have this kind of like bias baked into your movie from the get-go. And I think that's also a key reason why Judy kind of shies away from making certain points because the family is still alive and they were involved in the project. It's incredibly sanitized, like Very the, much, the, yeah. the depictions. Because I'm even thinking, obviously I don't want I don't want to see her in distress and having to go to drugs and stuff. I want to see Judy be happy. But the, sh- the scenes where, like the flashbacks where the studio minder is giving her drugs and stuff and it's done in a quick one second shot, like in a montage. And then when she's talking to Louis B. Mayer and she's like, oh, I worked 18 hours. I can't even remember my own name. They just give us a line. That's it. Like, I know sometimes you read between the lines, but I just felt like they just did not want to show anything bad in a way, and that must probably be because of the input of her children. I think that telling biopics that are authorized are always difficult because you need the support. You need to be able to use, whether that's music or something, you need a family's background, but a family's support in a biopic always comes with strings, always comes with conditions. To look at something recent, Elvis is a great example because for as dark as that movie gets, it does have a very key moment where it says like other people were giving him drugs. Elvis didn't do drugs because he wanted to do drugs. He was being given them, which contradicts a lot of other narratives from other people that were there that said that he was aware. And so we don't know what's true. All of these stories can be true. But when you have a family participating, you know, the Whitney Houston biopic that came out too is another good example. They were involved in that story, and that story has been accused of being very sanitized with regards to Whitney Houston's drug use. So you always, I always take, if I find out that there's family support, I always assume it's going to be, going to be happy. It's going to be super positive. There's going to be outsiders, evil outsiders that are the ones that are feeding her drugs. And even like Mickey D was in this movie, who most people say was like a notorious horrific human being who drugged her and just was in for the money. It's like this charming, like roguish young guy that's just, oh, well, I mean, we we can have fun. The Mickey Dean's portrayal is just shocking to me, how they gave him such a good edit. Like, it's insane. Like, they met, not how they meet in the film. Like, in real life, they met in a hotel room and he was giving her drugs. Yeah. 
they didn't show that in the film. <laughs> that doesn't make for a romantic meet cute, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. Yeah. It's the Bohemian Rhapsody principle, which I know a lot of people brought up Bohemian Rhapsody when this came out. Because in Bohemian Rhapsody, because so- the other members of Queen were involved, the story is very much Freddie Mercury did all the drugs. He did all the bad things. We went home to our wives at eight o'clock every night and we just tried to convince him to stop doing these things. And I feel like that is the same principle at play here with this, is that every character has to try to psychoanalyze why she can't just be happy. Like ultimately the movie's saying the biggest issue for Judy was not society and all the other people that led her to this point. It was really her. Like, why can't she just figure it out and make it work? Why does she have to be this tortured genius? And that's not at all, like, the dynamic. If you read Judy Garland's own interviews and the ways that she talked, a lot of it was she'd been a performer from, like, the age of three years old. She didn't know anything else. Nobody ever taught her how to do anything else. And she always felt suspicious of the people that were involved in her life. Everybody wanted something from her. She felt very much adrift with the only people that she felt she could really trust were her children because they were people that were supposed to love her unconditionally. And you hear a lot of that insecurity. It's a tale as old as time. You hear it from Britney Spears now on her Instagram talking about this lack of trust and this this concept of how do you be, how do you create friends? How do you find partners when everybody is being paid by you and everybody wants to be near you? These are really interesting questions that this film just does not seem interested in exploring. I thought next week I'd talk about the, how we felt about the film's portrayals of her time, like with MGM. And do we think the film handled that well or not? I was like very shocked that it showed it actually really shocked I wasn't expecting any flashbacks so I'm glad we got some and I definitely helped the character but it didn't like we said earlier it, it just didn't really flesh her out a lot and especially like the Louis V. Mayer scenes like it seemed to focus more on the studio mind there the woman that was with her giving her the pills and stuff which I thought was very interesting because Louis V. Mayer was a horrible person like show that i know that he is great in her and stuff but i just felt it was very weird very tame on his part they should have done that to louis v meyer they should have made him out to be the horrible man he was and they just didn't yeah and mayor we've seen so many different portrayals of him historically in biopics in like mommy dearest he's this like patrician fatherly guy that was super nice i think the shirley temple story has him as this happy ebullient like santa claus dude he gets a glow up in a lot of things it's only recently i think with other people in this the post me too movement that we're looking at studio heads as far more venal and corrupt and probably closer to what they actually were and but here louis b is just i'm sure that was in some ways he was but it tried a little too hard to make him a horrific human being like he got her behind like this set or something berating her and being like anti-semitic and homophobe and all just dude you don't gotta pile on you could have maybe picked one thing and just you don't have to turn him into Harvey Weinstein and I think that's what a lot of these biopics now do is they they try to connect it to Weinstein which not all of them were some of them were just 
dicks. Like they were just mean. Terry Cohn is a great example. He was just cruel for the sake of it. Even Shirley Temple has stories about having a studio exec like try to chase her around the table when she was a child. Some of them were perverts. Some of them were mean. There's a broad spectrum of horrible men in Hollywood. So I think the movie tries a little too hard and it's all on him. Like he is ultimately where the buck stops. And it, he wasn't. He was part of a system that treated a lot of these people as commodities. But Judy Garland was definitely often considered Mayor's special project, who, who people forget that at the same time Judy Garland got a contract at MGM, they also had a contract with Deanna Durbin. And Deanna Durbin decided to leave and go over to Universal. In many ways, what is it about Judy that got her where she is in, at the end of her life? And yet Deanna Durbin was able to actually leave Universal at the height of her career and have a very successful personal life, got married, had a very nice life, and died a happy woman. So what is the distinction there? And I don't necessarily think it all needs to be on Mayer. Yes, Mayer is part of it, but the Hollywood system, every studio had issues. Every studio had a studio head that was horrible. And I don't think the movie is really cut out to look at the system. It really wants to find like patient zero, the one person that is the reason why Judy Garland is the way she is. Because there's nothing sexy about saying the system is corrupt. And there's no proof that Mayer was sexually assaulting anybody. You can read books that claim that there might have been some issues with Garland in that regard that's never been proven and we'll never know the answer. I don't think he's Weinstein in the sense that we know Weinstein. I think that unfortunately screenwriters, the screenwriter in this instance was not creative enough to do something different and just decided to fall back on, let's just make him the Weinstein of the 1940s. And not all of them were, like there's, Weinstein is a very special case. Like, you can't equate the two. It was a very different time. I sort of felt like they were portraying him as being cartoonish. And I just thought that was like a very just gross way to go about it because he was a bad person. But I think it gets rid of maybe the impact that he had on people by making him be just like this cheesy sort of villain. Yeah, I think the movie's far more successful with the flashbacks when it's looking at the system of stuff that we already know about Hollywood, like Judy Garland's weight. We've we've always looked at celebrities through this lens of are they too fat or are they too thin? And Judy Garland is often the poster child for that. She said she would get like a bowl of soup and like a piece of celery and that's all she would be allowed to eat for that day. I think that is far more interesting in how it, it's her versus Mickey Rooney. Rooney was allowed to do whatever he wants. He can eat whatever he wants. He's whining and dining all these women. And yet Judy Garland is like home in bed by six o'clock. And she's a lot of the people she married were people she worked with because those were the only people that she ever interacted with. So it's a very isolating and sad life that I think the movie does more successfully look at the issues of her life through that lens than it does you don't need the mayor stuff. Like, you can just say that mayor is part of the problem because he's allowing this. But she really is, unfortunately, living the life that I think so many young women in Hollywood were living up until Me Too allowed us to talk about those things. And 
hopefully many women still are living because Me Too didn't solve a whole lot. I'm just intrigued to think about your thoughts on the Mickey Rooney depiction, the relationship-wise, especially as it's, to me, it reads that, like, they're trying to say that they should be together. Like, I know some people think they're, like, soulmates and they should have been, but, like, they just, the fact that he's the only one for, like, male relationships that they mention, apart from Mickey and Sydney. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think it's quite random that they just put that in there. Unless it was to show the differences between up-and-coming men and women in Hollywood. Judy Garland has said she she definitely felt a connection to Mickey Rooney. He understood. He had also been a star from a very young age. He understood the struggles of being an actor and a performer. And she also felt that if she was with him, that there would be a level of protection for her, which we've seen reiterated in, in other relationships where there's sexual harassment and stuff like that. Ruth will say that he didn't, he thought of her as a kid's sister. He didn't really have any deep connection to her. If you look at the women that Mickey Rooney married, she was not his type at all. He loved women with Vavoom, Ava Gardner. He, they said he tried to hit on Elizabeth Taylor when she was very young. So she just was not in his wheelhouse. Mickey Rooney was also allegedly a notorious womanizer. It's funny that the movie posits that relationship is like the one that got away. When you think about Judy's life and stuff and her relationships, like it is really sad to put so much emphasis on one, on one. Like, I actually think they, the Vincent Nelly stuff is way more interesting, but the film, they don't care about that. They just want to get out something quick and easy. It's Once again, it's just the easy route. Yeah, and Chris Sewell is, as they've left, I mean, he's a consummate actor. He's very different in movies. But the thing left in this is a guy that's just so put upon when he doesn't understand and he's a curmudgeon and to watch like documentaries and read stuff about their relationship. Yes, he did help pull her career from the brink, but he also was somebody that wanted her to keep working. And the biggest issue with her was that she wanted to work when she wanted to work. But at the same time, she was always cash poor. So she she had to keep working and they didn't really understand why she couldn't just get her stuff together. When I watched this film, it, I don't know. I might regret saying this. I don't think the writers like Judy. Like, they did not show her in a very good light, I don't think. Or very, like, she couldn't defend herself at all. It was just all these people just saying horrible stuff to her and she couldn't even fight back. I don't know. I just got this weird feeling that we were meant to not like her, which is insane because it's Judy Garland. That's a common thing I tend to say about biopics is that I don't necessarily feel the people that make them particularly like the people that they're making. Andrew Dominic's a great example. If you've read his comments about making Blonde and how he saw Marilyn Monroe. And one of the big criticisms that I've always gotten from people who don't agree with my opinion that I think Blonde is trash is that people say, it's just a movie. It's not real. It's a fictional look at this person's life. And it's, Blonde has plausible deniability, even though I don't think it does because it's based on a book. But in the case of Judy, again, people watch this movie and they assume it's all true because they assume it's based on a true story. That means that everything that has happened is here. People ignore the artistic license element of filmmaking. And I do feel that most people that tell biopic, there's, they feel that they have to be removed. Because otherwise, oh, it's just a hagiography. It's just them talking about how wonderful this person is. You have to be unbiased. But I think that 
every filmmaker brings bias, whether they want to admit it or not. But I think that filmmakers in this grand desire to be unbiased just decide to take all the information that they've read and they have to contextualize it to be entertaining. And a lot of that is hype up the bad stuff and limit the good stuff. If you watch like something like Life with Judy Garland, Me and My Shadows, like that, because it's a mini series and it's multiple episodes, there is at least a respect for telling her story in a way that, because you have the time to devote to it. You know, I feel that movie definitely is interested in telling her story, works and all. It's got the highs and it's got the lows and it's balanced out because you have two episodes of the two hour thing in order to tell it. I think that can work. Like people ask me like, what's the biopic that I love the most? Which one do I feel gets it right? And the closest that I always come is the 2015 Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe that they did for Lifetime. It is written by a man, but it's got a female director and it's probably one of the only Marilyn movies that I think is respectful to her as a person and looks at all of the factors of her life and really puts the impetus on women. How does her lack of relationships with women affect how she sees herself and how she allows others to see her? It's a different way than something like, oh, is she just crazy? She just did drugs. Oh, she was exploited because she was so hot. It's something different. And I unfortunately just don't think Judy has a really interesting way into Judy Garland as a person. It just wants to recycle the same things that I've seen in other biographies. That's perfectly worded, honestly. I was even thinking of like my some of my favorite biopics, which would probably be like Nowhere Boy and Love and Mercy, which are based on like singular events, like Nowhere Boy being about John Lennon before the Beatles when he was in the Cory Men, and then Love and Mercy being two points in Brian Wilson's life. Like they're done so well. I just, I think bad script, bad director, I'm sorry. I hate to blame it on stuff like that, but I think that's where it failed because I thought Renee was brilliant, but I just think this script was awful. Yeah, it's frustrating. Rupert Gould directed this and I know he did, I think, an episode of The Hollow Crown, but he also did True Story, which is a true crime story based on a book. The book is fantastic. The movie is bad, which, you know, so I I remember hearing that he was making this and I was like, oh no, it's not going to work out. So it's, it was definitely, it's definitely frustrating. But I do think that some instances you need a different way in. You need a female filmmaker. Even something like you brought up Nowhere Boy, which is a movie I have very mixed thoughts on, despite my undying love for ATJ. That movie at least has an interesting way in. It looks at a very specific time period that has not been talked about to death. And that's all of those basic tenets are in this movie. Like it's not a time period that we're really familiar with. It's players that maybe haven't been seen in other biopics. And yet it just does everything so basic that it really undermines the few instances where it is actually interesting. What for you are like the most interesting parts? What do you think it does well? I think the performance footage is really great. And I think that watching a performer, watching her struggle to like, get her voice in order and conjuring up how she wants things to look. And the second guessing and the doubt, I think those moments where Renee Zellweger is really on her own and like having to grapple with, can she pull this off? And is she capable of doing this? I think those are really interesting. But they also bring back 
a comparison to another movie you just mentioned, Love and Mercy, in the sense of having a performer try to figure out their vision for a grand musical performance. Elvis also does the exact same thing. We've seen the creative try to recreate their genius. We've seen that story before. Those are the moments in Judy that work because we are seeing Judy Garland interact with a different generation of people. She has to understand that the style of creating is different than it was in the studio system. Her interactions with Jesse Buckley, I think, are really good because Judy Garland famously did not have a lot of female So I think that there are little asides in the movie that work. And then when the movie has to go into like biopic with a capital B mode is where it falls flat. I think it brings up the question of, do we necessarily need any more Judy Garland biopics? I asked this about Marilyn Monroe as well. Do we need to tell the story again? Because we know what it, how it ends. There's nothing really beneficial that can be done by telling the story again. So I think that if this is the last Judy Garland biopic that we ever get, I will be completely happy about that because I just don't think that there's anything new that can be said about her life at this point. Old Hollywood biopics are really hard to get greenlit in Hollywood because there's this belief that only, that most audiences only know like a handful of people. Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland, James Dean. We're going to see if people care about Fred Astaire. We've got two Fred Astaire biopics being made right now. And we have a Gene Kelly not biopic, maybe with Chris Evans. So like, those are the people that get biopics. Uh, And I think that it's frustrating because like, it's the same handful of white people. I would much rather see like the future of old Hollywood biopics. I want it to be about people of color because I feel like there's so many fascinating stories about old Hollywood stars of color that just don't get told because there's this belief that nobody's going to know who they are. I sometimes feel like reiterating the same stories just gets rid of the importance of those people and then also just keeps highlighting people that we already know about and not that we shouldn't care about them or anything like that but it's just time I think to talk about what happened to like Rita Hayworth or yeah the Nicholas Brothers things like that yeah it's just about finding somebody that an executive who thinks that there's a benefit to somebody who's not the same like five old Hollywood stars. So if a French star needs two biopics in order for us to get like more niche old Hollywood films, I will take that. But I have a list of like old Hollywood biopics I would love to get made and who could play them. It's a thing close to my heart. So I have a lot of ideas if Hollywood wants to take me up on them. <laughs> I think you should throw off some of your best ones. I'm intrigued. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Lupe Velez would be a great one. With Tina Rodriguez would be great to play her. Or Eva Longoria, I think, looks more like Lupe Velez, but I think she might be a little too old at this point because Lupe Velez, I think, died before she was 40. Veronica Lake, I keep saying, would be great if, like, Amanda Seyfried or, uh, like, Smart Weaving wanted to play her. I think that would be really cool. I keep shilling for my John Garfield with John Bernthal biopic all the time. <gasps> I know the resemblance is uncanny. I know John Garfield's daughter strongly disagrees with me on that, but I maintain <laughs> that I maintain it would work. And my very niche one, bring it back to Aaron Taylor Johnson, is I think that he would be great playing Peter Lawford, but nobody's going to green light a Peter Lawford biopic because he is like the fifth least interesting member of the Rat Pack. So yeah. <laughs> But in my world, it will happen one day. 
Did you have any other thoughts about Judy, the movie, or the person that you wanted to share? Judy Garland's great. I love her so much. Do not watch Judy. If you have to watch any Judy Garland biopic, just go find the ABC one from 2001. I think that's a pretty good summation. And Tammy Blanchard plays Judy Garland as a youth in that movie. And she looks very much like Judy Garland. She's great. Judy Davis plays her when she is older and she's better. So it's a worthy one. I know that the 1976 film Rainbow, which is the earliest Judy Garland biopic, is on YouTube. It's fine. It's not great. But yeah, this one I think is just pure Hollywood fluff. It doesn't, it's got a great performance. But I think that if anybody, I think people will be hard pressed to remember that Renee Zellweger won an Oscar for this. I think most people remembered Cold Mountain before they remember this. This movie has not withstood the best of time. And it's just basic, very basic. Yeah. What about you, Louise? Did you have anything else you wanted to say? No, not really. I, yeah, did not like this film. I probably wouldn't recommend it. But yeah, I, like, I did think Renee was very good. But yeah, it was not the one for me. Especially also, I love 60, late 60s London, especially. That's my vibe. I was not invested at all. Like, it was just not the one. I wouldn't recommend it. Maybe if you're trying to do all the best actress winners, but it's just, yeah. If you put the list of all the best actress winners of the decade, this is very bare. Audrey, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with you Final guys. Thoughts. I didn't like this and would not recommend it. I just say watch Judy's films and that would be a much better way to spend your time and just get a sense of who she was in that way. Kristen, did you want to plug anything? Sure. I'm always on the internet. I write for The Wrap, so you can look for my stuff at therap.com. I'm on Twitter at journeys underscore film. I'm also on Instagram at kristenlopez88. And I have a book from TCM and Running Breath called But Have You Read the Book? 52 Literary Gems and Inspired Our Favorite Films, all about film adaptations. So if you want to hear me talk about movies that started out as books and how I like and despise some of them in equal measure you should check that out when it comes out on March 7th so yeah thank you so much for having me (laughs) yeah thanks for being on I'm excited for your book we really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us and it was really nice to hear all your thoughts about the film and about Judy oh thank you thank you anytime you want me to share thoughts on anything I'm always around I I love to talk (laughs) oh awesome (laughs) love to talk to you it was yes (laughs) Same, yeah. Thank you all so much for listening and make sure to check out all of Kristen's stuff and we'll see you in a couple weeks. We'll be talking about John Cassavetes. This episode was co-hosted and edited by me, Audrey Cornell, and co-hosted by Louise Coleman. The music was written by Nia D'Amelio. Gone But Not Forgotten is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com.